Welcome to MuggleCast episode 415. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're discussing Half-Blood Prince chapter 24, Sectum Sempra, and we have some feedback to get to. But first, I just wanted to point out, y'all, that we have a special anniversary coming up. It's one we always look forward to. The anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts. I know it's hard to believe. It feels like it was just yesterday, but it's been 21 years <laughs> since that fateful day. Can you believe it's been that long? <laughs> Way to make me feel old. Yeah, yeah. Well, only 12 years since we read about it. Right, since it came into our lives. Yeah, but it's funnier to pretend that <laughs> it actually happened 21 years ago, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Even 12 years is actually pretty shocking. Like, God. So J.K. Rowling has actually made a tradition out of apologizing or issuing an apology on the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts. And as we all know, that date is May 2nd. She has issued an apology the past four years in a row. (laughs) Although 2018's wasn't an apology about uh, a death in the Battle of Hogwarts. She apologized for Dobby. In 2017, she apologized for Snape. In 2016, it was Lupin. And in 2015, it was Fred. So my question is, it's twofold. One, will she actually make an apology this year? Because as we know, she's been off Twitter. Mm-hmm. She's been off Twitter again for over a month now. Not even not even a single tweet has been liked by her. I looked. Uh, so will she make an apology this year? And if she does, who will she apologize for? I think this is the year of Lavender Brown. I was thinking that too. Yeah. But I think I think we've as a fandom, we've probably ticked her off so much that she's just gonna say, I apologize for not making it clear whether or not Lavender Brown died. Yeah, mix it up. Just leave it at that. Oh, but she won't even answer. <laughs> My head'll explode if that's what happens. <laughs> Do you think she'll apologize, Micah? I know you've had a rocky relationship with her on Twitter. Yeah. I mean it goes back a couple of years at this point. <clears throat> I actually think uh, she's going to deviate a little bit and she's going to apologize for killing the Fantastic Beast series in just two movies. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so <laughs> I think she's Dang. going to apologize. I think she'll come back. I did tweet her a reminder a few days ago that it's coming up just in case you forgot. Well, so I think helpful. that'll help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she is going to apologize for killing Aragog because I know she's been listening to our chapter by chapter series and it's fresh in her mind. Uh, So that'll be the one. And it'll also like cause a ruckus in the fandom because everybody will be like, why? Why apologize for Aragog? Nobody liked him. (laughs) Most of all the trio. (laughs) Any other predictions? I know she's not going to do what I said, so I'll pick an actual character. Tonks. She she actually hasn't apologized for killing a female character at all. Oh, that's a good point. We asked this question on Patreon. Katie said she should apologize for murdering Cannon. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, We're not jaded at all, people. <laughs> Y'all rough. Katie and I are on the same page. Well... Of. Some of us are still true fans. Uh, Rebecca said Colin Creevy. And that one I thought about that too. Got a bunch of votes. 
Rebecca said uh, she, he was so young and always so excited and keen to help. He only gets about a sentence in the Battle of Hogwarts when Harry sees Oliver Wood carrying his body. The poor kid deserved better. She also felt Tonks would be a good choice. Megan thought Tonks. Juliana thought, uh, sorry, Megan thought Colin. Juliana thought Colin as well. Michael said, I think it should be Hedwig because it kind of signifies the death of Harry's childhood. And we all just really loved that owl. Yeah. But since it did signify the death of Harry's childhood, which I think J.K. Rowling herself also said, should she really apologize for that? That was an important one. Yeah. A lot a lot of the ones, you know, they have literary merit. Um, killing Snape, which she apologized for. Killing Dobby. They, they, they're all points, steps along the way on Harry's journey. But it, it feels nice to get this kind of direct from Joe. I'm sorry I did this because we always used to hear how like her husband would find her crying in the kitchen and she'd be like, I wrote I wrote the scene. I just killed this person and, you know, get some comfort. She, she just shows that she's human. And although she um, resigns some of these characters to their mortal fates, that uh, she doesn't have to feel good about it. I don't know. It was a nice connecting point between the author and and us as readers but given the tension lately i really don't know if she will show up for it the tension what tension what are you talking about well, you know <laughs> the backlash of various uh no i know it's yeah. just funny maybe yeah. she just decided to have a resolution in the new year to stay off social media <laughs> yeah sure uh, <laughs> how about mad eye mad eye yeah yeah he'd be a, a good one. our patrons said that as well yeah. Angela. Uh, somebody said Dumbledore. I actually think Dumbledore would be a good one. He's relevant again with the Fantastic Beast film series. Mm. Did he have to die? I mean, <laughs> we'll yeah. We'll discuss that. <laughs> he did. How about just, just murdering? I don't know. He was the greatest wizard of all time. So maybe apologizing for that could be nice. And then there's also the question of does J.K. Rowling even have to apologize to begin with? Like, I guess it's kind of a fun tradition for fans to talk about from time to time, but... Mm-hmm. She shouldn't really apologize for anything that she writes in her stories. Eleanor uh, wants to get an apology for the unidentified Fallen 50 at the Battle of Hogwarts as they didn't even get named. So, just Well, various... they weren't named for a reason. Yeah. They're irrelevant. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. I'm just imagining like a monument to the Fallen at the Battle of Hogwarts. And yeah. there will be like a blank stone to be representative of the people they couldn't identify. But then Andrew has it inscribed on this, like, not listed because they're irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, I would just inscribe on it. Who cares? God. Anyway, we'll see what J.K. Rowling does. Maybe she'll do something. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll post it on her website. Oh, yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> just don't use Twitter at all anymore. Just keep everything on her website. Anyway, we'll uh, update everybody. We'll see what happens on May 2nd. Also want to give a shout out today to a couple of our patrons who joined us for our monthly Slug Club hangout over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Thanks to Shannon, Michelle, and Terrence for joining us. The Slug Club hangout is a monthly benefit where we just talk on video, one-on-one basically, for a half hour before recording an episode of Mugglecast. And it's always nice to hang out with the listeners kind of virtually meet them and we'll just talk about whatever you want so it's always a good time and thanks to everybody who sent in responses regarding who jk rowling will apologize for murdering this year as part of our links line benefit over at patreon.com slash mugglecast 
We have some emails now. Eric, do you want to read the first one? Yep. Uh, hey, guys. This is from Ryan. Longtime listener. First time emailing in. Thanks so much for everything you do. You're consistently a highlight of my weeks. Regarding the latest chapter-by-chapter discussion, I really enjoyed it, but was a little disappointed you guys didn't touch on the last few paragraphs. I think there was a critical transformation that took place in Harry in terms of the prophecy and the power of love. His realization of what that actually means and the difference that it makes to, quote, walk into the arena with your head held high is critical to his success and the story, not to mention super motivational for me, the ability to face each day, even difficult ones, with an eagerness as opposed to reluctance is one of the most powerful gifts we can have. That's all. Thanks for reading my email. P.S. Micah, you're the greatest. Whenever you bring up the goat, I lose it. You're all the best, though, and this show means a lot to me and all your listeners. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, Micah, you and that goat have been dancing this dance for years. It's true. Make it official already. <laughs> mm-hmm. Put anyway, a ring on well, it. <laughs> that is a good point about this line. I know a lot of people are moved by it because I read the book on my kindle and it's one of the most highlighted lines in the book oh you can see like what lines other people highlight that also have that version yeah it's a yeah the ebook version it's a it's a super cool feature because you can see what people are really connecting with in any book it's it's pretty cool but um yeah i mean when you think about this line walking into the arena with your head held high it's also something harry applies in deathly hollows when he is prepared to die i've i've got to do this so, yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, many people cite the Into the Forest again as the best chapter or their favorite chapter of all seven books. And people are moved by Harry's hero's sacrifice, uh, which sort of kicks off at the end of the last chapter that we discussed, like Ryan mm-hmm. said. So, And if you read very closely within the later chapters when all of the villagers from Hogsmeade are running into the battle, there's actually a very brief line, brief mention of Aberforth's goat um, leading the charge. He's leading the villagers from Hogsmeade. Brave goat. I thought you were going to continue talking about Harry holding his head high in the later chapters, but no. (laughs) It was about the goat. Just trying to, uh, you know, continue to make what they want. Yeah, Ryan, hopefully he lost it again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we we give Micah an inch and he takes a little bit more. He takes, he a takes goat. that inch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you read the next one, Micah? No goats in this email. Oh, well, okay. Uh, it comes from Charlotte, who says, Hi, guys. I am obsessed with Harry Potter, and I was listening to episode 413, and I was just thinking how much quicker the last book would have been if someone had been smart enough to use Felix Felicis. So many lives could have been spared. Teddy Lupin could have had parents. George could have had his other half. I was mainly surprised that Hermione didn't think of this. Yes, it wouldn't guarantee that win, but if someone brewed a huge amount and each person had a few drops, it would have been so much easier. You have the English seal of approval, except the accent. No one really speaks like that. Keep up the good work. That's not true, Charlotte. If you're talking about people in the UK... They absolutely talk like this. You just don't realize it because you live it every day. Well, going back to the previous email, though, the whole sacrifice that's made by Harry, it's almost like he gets Felix Felicis 
for free. He doesn't even have to take it because, I mean, I've always thought, or at least it was implied that by him doing that, it basically created this, you know, wall of protection around him and those that were fighting on his side. That's true. Yes, that's that's totally a thing. It's it's the same sort of protection that Lily gave to him. Yeah. It's just weird that that doesn't happen consistently every day, all the time around the world when people are jumping in front of their loved ones in J.K. Rowling's books. But, you know, as must surely happen. But, uh, yeah, I do recall in the book seven it being said that everybody had that protection. And to be fair, without wanting to overuse plot points, um, we know that at the end of this book, Harry does give the rest of his Felix out to the fellow his fellow uh, order members, so or Dumbledore's army members. So it's not an uncommon sort of thing, but I don't know what good it would have been to them out in the wild necessarily. Right. Um, right. It nudges you in that direction that you were heading anyway. I think that's even referenced in this chapter that we're discussing today. And yeah, we don't want to overuse plot points. <laughs> I think the ones that are arguably a little overused are just enough. Right. And it's refreshing as a reader to see how characters can take things on in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think we probably could say that about a lot of moments in the series. What if they had just Mm -hmm. done this? What if they had just done that? Same thing with Slughorn. We've talked a lot about in this book. Why not Dumbledore just chain him to a chair and put Veretta serum down his throat, you know? I mean, right. you achieve the same goal as Felix Felicis, don't you? Why not just go back in time and kill baby Tom Riddle? Don't say you can't with time turners. We saw in Cursed Child, you could. <laughs> Final email today is from Amy. We had been speaking about where you listen to the podcast. We love to hear where people listen to the show. She said, I just hit pause on the feed of episode 414 to tell you I was listening to the podcast while analyzing data off of a mass spectrometer. I can listen while I look at chromatograms, chromatograms, chromatograms. But, not, but not once the data is in Excel and I have to pay attention to numbers. So there you go. Thanks for all you do. I'm sure this is against the rules to send you a screenshot, but she sent us a screenshot of her data analysis anyway. Um I don't know what a chromatogram is. I think it's chemistry. Oh, I see. Of course you know that, Laura. You're Mm -hmm. so smart. Chromatography is the separation of a mixture by passing it in solution or suspension as or a vapor, as in gas chromatography, through a medium in which the components move at different rates. Hmm. Does sound like chemistry. So she's in potions. (laughs) (laughs) Make some Felix. (laughs) Give him another characters for... Book seven. This is super awesome. I love our talented and smart listeners that have really kind of unique gigs going on there. Yeah. Continue to email in. Let us know where you listen to the show. Include a picture as well if you can. Uh, we won't post it online if it if you shouldn't be sending us a picture. <laughs> but we will tell people you took the picture. Before we move on to chapter by chapter, we'd like to take a moment to let our listeners know about this week's sponsor, OpenFit. OpenFit is a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. Couple things about OpenFit, they have amazing trainers and classes, 
OpenFit's classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. Sculpt your body with Andre Rogers, founder of the Worldwide Sensation Extend Bar. Or get in crazy shape with Hunter McIntyre, named by Sports Illustrated as one of the top 50 fittest athletes. These trainers know how to get you results quick. And speaking of results, you can actually lose up to 15 pounds in the first 30 days. Flatten your abs, shape your body, and look and feel great. I myself have just taken up the yoga that OpenFit offers. I started my morning off with a class on vinyasa flow yoga, and in general, yoga really makes me slow down and appreciate the journey. I find myself more mindful, breathing, improving the circulation of my body, and listening to the very clear instructions with yoga, which means I'm not always straining to see my screen. You can access OpenFit on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, and Roku. Forget all the complexity and stress around getting fit and just press play. Work out on your schedule. The 600 Seconds Workouts with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins packs the fat-burning, muscle-building, and body-sculpting benefits of much longer sessions into a fraction of the time. Everybody has 10 minutes a day. Don't say you don't. That's how you get stuck not seeing the results that you want. OpenFit has changed the way I work out. and With my code MuggleCast, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Use the code MuggleCast and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-Day Challenge, listeners to MuggleCast get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text MuggleCast to 303030. You're going to get free, full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. We thank OpenFit for their support of the show. All right, it's time now for chapter by chapter, chapter 24 of Half-Blood Prince, Sectum Sempra. And let's do our seven-word summary. I will start. Harry. Almost. Gets. Discovered. By. Snape. <laughs> comma Severus. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it's, it doesn't matter. Bathroom. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Harry almost gets discovered by Snape bathroom. I like it. <laughs> I was going to say today, but that, that that's not funny. as funny. At least no. we didn't end it with hooray. We could have ended it with like, ah, <laughs> Harry almost gets discovered by Snape. Ah, yeah. Interjections. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll somehow find a way to transition into the start of the main discussion. <laughs> no bathroom at the start of this chapter. No, but it's coming later, so be prepared. <laughs> we can uh, revisit our discussion of uh, students who just poop right in place and make it vanish. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. So the uh, the chapter starts off really uh, in Breakup Central, but we learn that Ron and Lavender have split up, as have Dean and Ginny, and uh, Harry shares with Ron and Hermione all of the information that he himself found out about in the last chapter uh, from Dumbledore, and you know, um, also lets them know that he's going to be traveling with Dumbledore. Uh, in the near future. And what did uh, you all make of just the the whole breakup 
situation. It, it's kind of like we go from one chapter that's super serious or two chapters that are super serious to moments that are a little bit more lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like what you see in a movie or television show. You got to break up all the seriousness with some breakups in this case. And <laughs> yeah, I don't personally, I've never been somebody who is invested in the relationships, the romantic relationships of the characters. Um, so I don't really care for it. And to be honest with you, it's stuff that I usually just skim over. <laughs> I like it because I think it's very grounding. I think it reminds us that we're still dealing with teenagers they're still at school and surrounding like everything that harry has to do is just his regular life yeah and and harry's uh pursuit of Ginny interests me because it's harry he's the hero uh of the story that we're reading everything through his eyes so you know i i don't necessarily like there's a lot more dancing that goes on internally in harry uh this whole chapter he kind of is developing, you know, with the news that Ginny is single, begins to argue with himself over whether or not he should approach her and try and be alone with her. Um, this all under the assumption that she will like him back in return. But, um, you know, it, this whole news at the beginning of the chapter really sets up a chain of events that, chapter-wise, um, has like a satisfying arc, a little conclusion at the end of it. And kind of a throwback to last week's chapter, because, you know, the idea and Hermione conveys that the reason Ginny and Dean broke up more recently was that he was always helping her through the portrait hole. But we know that that was in fact, Harry under the invisibility cloak accidentally bumped into Dean or bumped into Ginny. And she thought that that was actually Dean's like hand helping her through. And she is a very strong, independent woman, doesn't need any of that. So Felix Felicis, we mentioned this last week, but managed to help Harry out in sort of an unexpected way in uh, facilitating the breakup of Harry's love interest with mm-hmm. her former flame. Yeah, and to your point, it does come full circle uh, at the end of the chapter with Harry and Ginny getting together. It also brings Ginny to the forefront, I think, uh, much like in Chamber of Secrets, where she becomes a, a focal point uh, of really that book with what happens in Chamber of Secrets. She just she does kind of do that in this chapter as well uh, when she goes after Hermione and then at the end of the chapter, of course, when her and Harry get together. Yeah, she has yeah. dialogue in this chapter. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is where you're finally going to get your illustrated. Uh, <laughs> it's this, this single yeah. illustration of art. Yeah, by, by no, the beach. But just to spite you, it will be like... Ginny sitting in one of the chairs in the common room, but the view will be from behind her, yeah. so you'll just see the back of her head. <laughs> She'll be looking out the window. They're probably, you know, I've said this before, but uh, I, I genuinely like Harry and Ginny as a, as a ship. It was something that I felt was faded because it's in the earlier books that, you know, there's a little bit of a crush situation going on, but it's able to have matured throughout the years. And Ginny, as we know, is very competent, so I think she's great for Harry. Um, and I'll just reiterate that, you know, the coming chapter or two, it's nice to get these moments with them, in my opinion. Um, but but it is sort of short lived because Harry does ha- have the conclusion of the book to get off to. And I always want more than what this chapter and the next chapter provide. I want more Harry and Ginny actually just existing in space, talking about stuff. I want it. It's 
sort of skimmed over, but I, I, I definitely want more of that from Joe. That would be, I think, a candidate for extended writing that I just kind of want to see them interacting with one another because the pursuit takes up a lot well, of time. So You're going to have to follow yeah. them then through the portrait hole and out to the, uh, you know, yeah. secret areas of the castle. In my Where mind, they may or may not be discussing the outcome of the Quidditch match. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't need yeah, specific yeah, details either. It's just I, I think that uh, it may be a fallen plot point or, or something that once they're together... There was not J.K. Rowling is not really interested for the purpose of the story in really showing what it's like to interact. They have a few good conversations. Wait, yeah, wait for the TV show. Yeah, exactly. This would be perfect fodder for a Harry Potter reboot television series. Mm-hmm. They can spend a lot of time diving into the romance. Yeah, hundred percent. I have a feeling that that what they're doing is like PG material. Like it, it's just a lot of smooching. We don't. I don't know that we need to see that. Yeah, I think the well, fact that it's alluded like, to is is enough. Sounds like Eric does need this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't. Yeah, I don't I, need anything. I don't, pitch- I don't need anything to be explicit as far as them interacting. I'm saying it's genuine. It's genuinely one or two conversations. And then Harry comes up to Ginny when he tries to break up with her at the end of this book, from my memory, and says, "These past few months have been the best of my life." And you're just like, "What?" It just. <laughs> it doesn't really explain right. anything. So give the guy yeah. a break, though. I know he's had some rough couple of years no, i know but it's just it's it gets forget forgotten the gains of this chapter get i think buried under the plot as the uh, book comes to an end well we'll see if i'm, I'm wrong i'm kind of glad that, that you said that because one thing i wanted to raise and i forgot to include it here though is that we're really coming to the tail end of harry's time at hogwarts and so a lot of what we're reading now are things for the final time so harry's in charms class you know, Quidditch was supposed to be a big part of this chapter, would have been the last time we would have seen it in the series uh, when the Quidditch pitch, uh, you know, outside of the Quidditch pitch being destroyed in Deathly Hallows. But, you know, these these are things that we have, as readers have been with for, you know, six books now, and they're really some of the final times that we're going to read about them in the series. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad to think about in hindsight. I haven't really been thinking about that. Especially knowing that when we were all reading this for the first time, we had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That that we were coming up on a lot of lasts. And I love that because it kind of puts us in the passenger seat with Harry, right? Like we're experiencing all of his lasts at Hogwarts right alongside him. And that you know, I feel like there's a lot of payoff that comes with that. When you realize at the end of the book that he's not coming back and you're like, oh, crap, probably the next time I see Hogwarts, it's going to be on fire. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And we'll get to this a little bit later. But with Quidditch, we know how important that is to Harry and it's Snape that takes it away from him. And not without reason, of course, I think it's certainly warranted, but there's probably just an extra bit of satisfaction that comes from that particular detention that Snape is giving Harry. You're right. Yeah. So Harry's already had his last Quidditch match at Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was him getting drilled in the head thanks to uh, Cormac <laughs> McLaggen. It's very sad. Very well, speaking of Quidditch, uh, we learned that Katie is back. Uh, she has recovered from her injuries um, or 
being cursed. And uh, of course, Harry is very much wanting to find out exactly what happened to her because he's got Draco on the mind 24-7 when he's not thinking about Ginny. <laughs> and uh, you know, Katie mentions the fact that all she can recall is really the the moments before going into the girl's bathroom in Hogsmeade and you know Hermione thinks that since Katie was going into the girl's bathroom when she was cursed it would have had to have been a female who cursed her and I wanted to ask the question don't you think this is a little bit short-sighted for Hermione's character given Polyjuice given just the fact that anybody could have been there well they quickly uh it's quickly brought up i think that it could have been somebody under polyjuice so at least there's that but maybe is hermione just so hell-bent on following all the rules that she can't even imagine a scenario where somebody not a woman would step into the the ladies bathroom so that was kind of my thought i feel like it would be short-sighted for 2019 Hermione, who is probably well aware at this point that all bathrooms are gender neutral, really and truly, or at least they should be. But Hermione's definitely very much attached to what she perceives to be the rules of things. And I could see this being a moment where she just doesn't even think about it. Mm. Like, why would there be someone in the ladies' bathroom or going in there who wasn't a female but um and i think i think she'd recognize that now but isn't there hidden magic that prevents men from going into women's bathrooms because there is in the girls dormitory when harry go up harry and ron both and go up go up and get her i forget when exactly it occurs but the stairs turn into slides and they freaking slide down the stairs oh yeah that was funny yeah, but it but doesn't like, exist for the boys' dormitories. Yeah, exactly. So the double <laughs> standard is awful at Hogwarts. Yes. But it's totally a thing. So I think Hermione probably knows that, you know, a boy couldn't be in there. But it doesn't account for Polyjuice because Crab and Goyle probably could get in um, after true. what they've been doing. So it just kind of, I don't know, but I got the impression that there was some kind of unspoken magic that would have prevented that. But doesn't Hermione bring Harry and Ron into... The girl's bathroom in Chamber of Secrets. Oh, yep, she does. She does. Yeah. So maybe bathrooms aren't as protected as dormitories. And this is also like outside of Hogwarts, too. Let's remember that. Yeah, yeah. Dormitories have more reason to be protected, I think, because I feel like guys would maybe not only want to go into a girl's dormitory to be a creep toward other girls, but also to potentially steal things. Yeah. I don't know. For what specific reason? Whereas a bathroom, there's less personal things in there at any given moment. So Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So despite uh, Katie's inability to remember, Draco, or Harry's convinced that Draco was behind this attack. And he's pretty much been of that mindset since it first happened. And so Harry starts to think about the room of requirement again. And he talks about wanting to use Felix Felicis again. And Hermione has a really interesting quote and wanted to talk about it where she says, luck can only get you so far, Harry. The situation with Slughorn was different. You always had the ability to persuade him. You just needed to tweak the circumstances a bit. Luck isn't enough to get you through a powerful enchantment. 
What do we make of this statement? It does seem a bit Dumbledore-esque in the way that she's talking to Harry. It seems like she knows more about Felix than maybe she's letting on. But just how she says this to Harry makes it seem like maybe it all wasn't luck at the end of the day. It's. I think this is a weak argument considering later in the book they literally all take Felix so that spells bounce off the walls and miss them. Um, it's kind of like you can use Felix to to really sort out a lot of extraneous circumstances. But I think the events of this chapter show that she's right. Harry is able to penetrate the Room of Requirement, the very Room of Requirement, the version of it or close enough that Draco is using all year, simply by asking it something different that isn't Draco-focused and has nothing to do with luck at mm-hmm. all whatsoever. So I think that Hermione's point is proven almost immediately that Harry, um, a lot of a lot of the power of Felix comes from your specific privileges and it just kind of enhances what you already got but if you got it then you got it you don't need to use felix to solve all the world's problems yeah well it goes back to the point of the placebo effect that we've talked about before Mm -hmm. i mean remember ron only performed well at quidditch because he thought he'd taken it and he never did so i think it's a matter of if you you know put your mind to it enough as harry shows with the room of requirement here and he's no longer trying to get into the room as Draco saw it, he was able to get what he actually needed in that moment, which was also what Draco needed. And he also put his mind to it in the Slughorn situation. Yep. When he was just adamant about getting the answer out of him. He asks Slughorn multiple times. He he really does push him. So, so yeah, uh, I think I like what Hermione has to say here, and I agree with it. Cool. Harry though can't get enough of Felix. First, he wants to use it to find the Room of Requirement. Then he starts thinking about using it to pursue Ginny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this yeah. a little sleazy? So it's funny because who, I forget, I feel really bad, but we had a really great voicemail from a teenage listener a couple weeks ago talking about how, hey, you know what, actually... The intention here isn't creepy because we all have to put ourselves in the shoes of being teenagers. And did we not all at some point have some sort of like really fantastic like situation that we would concoct in our heads about how all the circumstances would line up perfectly for us to get with our crush? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like we've we've all had that, right? Yeah, and it was a it was a yeah. perfect voicemail. It was really really great. It really really was. And so I was thinking about that when I thought about this point, and I was like, yeah, I mean, this is this is just Harry's version of that, you know. This is Harry's version of, oh well, if I go where I know this person hangs out a bit, and I'm just like hanging out there, and we happen to have this chance encounter because I'm there. Everything, like the stars might align and everything will come together. Yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I'll, I'll take back my former statements about <laughs> the Felix usage when it comes to Ginny being like creepy. Cause I don't think that's the intention. I think if an, if an adult were doing that, it would be super creepy. 
Yeah. That, it, that is interesting reading it as we are now as adults thinking mm-hmm. it could be creepy because we're we're reading it as if it's our age going right. after Jim. Like that. Yeah, that's definitely changed in perspective. And I think, you know, a lot of the Harry's internal struggle here, I question too whether that's creepy or untoward, but like it's just probably not. It's probably as innocuous as you're saying because like he has this internal struggle of but she's my best friend's sister, but I, I wish that she were kissing me, but like, she's my best friend's sister. And it, it's just sort of important to go through the, the steps of this um, to kind of see just how human he is, I guess. You you do silly things for love, but I'm also wondering here, Does is Harry really thinking this through a long term? Like, does he want his relationship with Ginny to be built on the fact, to, to be built on Felix Felicis? Like... It's not genuine then. Right. Um, you might not be thinking that because all you can think about is, oh, my God, I will do anything to get with her. Yeah. But you have to consider that at some point. Yeah. And then you have to wonder what would have happened if you had gone the Felix route. What what would have happened if you didn't? Yeah. It's it's important that uh, that Felix does not guarantee, you know, that it'll really work out or, or there there's no guarantees in, in, in life in general that. Ginny will reciprocate. He doesn't know that. She had a crush on him five years ago. Doesn't mean that it's, you know, stayed the same or that she'd even be into him. He wants the opportunity, which is great. And when it comes at the end of this chapter, it's great. It's requited. It seems to be fantastic. But he kind of just wants what he wants. He wants the opportunity to, to do it. So making the chance easier and it's weird how the cha- what I think I think this chapter does beautifully is has a lot of these little character beats like like Ginny facing off against Cho in Quidditch like who can have predicted that Harry's ex would be head to head with his current romantic pursuit it's a weird plot point that's kind of really kind of cool although it's never called out it's just one of those little factoids that reminds you one it's a small town you know small school and but two, it's not kind of a passing of the baton. What were you saying? Supposedly there are hundreds of students there. We just don't see them all. (laughs) It's a whole discussion in itself. (laughs) They're irrelevant, right, Andrew? Yes. Yeah. Fall on 50? Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Speaking of Quidditch, there was um, a, a short passage here that was really interesting to me that talked about a lot of like hazing and and sort of like (laughs) a sports mean team mentality and bullying that was happening across the student body but particularly amongst Ravenclaws and Gryffindors because the upcoming Quidditch match was for the house championship and I love this because it's so easy to sort of scapegoat Slytherins as being the poorly behaved ruthless bullies and that's not always the case. This just shows that all teenagers have a propensity to be jerks sometimes. <laughs> and I love it. And yeah. I wish I wish this was something we saw a little more of. I feel like as the books progressed, J.K. Rowling did a really good job of providing more varied types of characters. So obviously, like, not all Gryffindors are great people. Look at Cormac McLaggen. Um, and then later on, we get characters from other houses, look at Lita Lestrange, for example. Um, you know, she's a Slytherin, but she's not a horrible human being. And I love that she's doing that because for the longest time, it kind of felt like um, 
there was a very stark difference between like Slytherins who were the quote unquote bad people and everyone else who were good people. And that's just not how the world works. So I like that we get this more nuanced perspective on the student body as they're getting older. Definitely. And yeah, just to see these houses that otherwise normally, you know, we would think would fall within, you know, certain ways of behaving. They're they're doing probably what any school would do if there was this intensive a matchup that was coming up, as you mentioned it. This is for the the championship. And they're just hardcore going at each other. And it's not unlike what we see even in you know, the muggle world, right? When you have teams playing each other, you have fans from both teams that are in the same arena with each other. And you know, you hope that doesn't escalate to you know, something crazy, but they're generally they're not always very nice to each other. So I think it's just mm-hmm. a, a fair representation of of uh, you know two two sports teams who are about to to go and at it. J.K. Rowling has confessed to not really enjoying writing Quidditch, and that's probably also another reason why we don't see this match. Just the aftermath, she's given herself a break. But um, I like how strategically she placed it so that Gryffindor really has an opportunity to be in each of the positions for the long-standing Quidditch Cup. They can be in first place or last place. And she kind of goes through how that would be possible, depending on the outcome of the final match, which weighs heavily on Harry. But it's kind of cool because I I think that's probably not always the case, that there's such a margin for error, um, that it just kind of adds some stakes to this internal chapter's struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and she does it mention shows. yeah go, oh, go ahead uh, she does mention that Gryffindor has never in 200 years been in the bottom of standings which they do have an opportunity to do and I wonder is that sheer force of will for the Gryffindor's part is it because they really just are to reduce them against what was what Lara was saying like are they just is it just because they're the jocks like what uh, you know Gryffindor has never been in the bottom of the bottom in 200 it, years. It also just shows that Harry is not focused on what he should be focused on in this moment, which is yeah. the Quidditch match. He really you know, has had Draco on the mind for the entire year, but now that Katie's back, it's almost a reminder to him he's gotten Slughorn's memory, so let's refocus on Draco. And because he decides to do what he does, it costs not only him, but his team and people who rely upon him, his presence during this Quidditch match. Now they end up winning, but who knows what could have happened? You know, it, anything could have happened, right? We don't, you know, it's written that way, but I think it's, it's an important lesson kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier from a teenage perspective that you do things like what Harry's about to do, and you have to suffer the consequences of those actions. And I'm not against him getting detention. I think the punishment should have been far more severe than what he got. But we can talk about that in a little bit. So Harry now is constantly checking the Marauder's map, looking for Draco. He's just come off this really great Quidditch practice. Everybody is in high spirits. Katie's back. Dean's off the team. So he sees Draco in a bathroom. And first off, Draco could have just been doing some business down there, taking a dump. And Harry is just like, oh, let me go check in on Draco, open the door on him. 
well, wait a second. Is this a private one-person it's bathroom? It's not, or but he it... still could have been taking his shit. Yeah, well, and then if he saw the door was locked, maybe he would have respected his privacy. Well, no, no, he could have walked in, right? It was. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it has multiple stalls yeah. available. But right, that's my point. The stall was locked. Oh. Go on. I mean, yes, he yeah, was at the same. Yeah, but does it crying. have those really awkward cracks between the door <laughs> and like the yes. stall wall that you can totally see through if you're being a creep? That's why I bring a blanket. I cover those up. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it does strike the like what's the what's the urge to go to the bathroom that Malfoy's in and kind of seek him out? Like, like what you couldn't wait for him to come out of the bathroom, like, because he knows. Well, I guess he doesn't know, but he has a good reason to believe that maybe Draco was up to no good in there in the bathroom. Yes, <laughs> look. How often do we see the Harry Potter characters actually using the bathroom in the series? I if, know. If it's going to be brought into the uh, narration, it, it's for good reason. They just poop in place, according to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why Harry is like, well, wait, why did Draco go into the bathroom to poop? Yeah. He didn't need to do that. The bathrooms are just decorative at Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just for uh, real estate value that those things actually exist in there. All right. <laughs> Well, we have yet another key moment in the Potter series taking place in a bathroom uh, and with Moaning Myrtle yet again. So connecting the threads, I think, across multiple books, not just Chamber of Secrets. We know that in Sorcerer's Stone, Hermione goes and runs into the bathroom and Harry and Ron need to save her. Mm-hmm. So Draco's crying at the sink. Well, and, and don't forget another thread is that all seven books have bathrooms in them. Uh, what does the third... Go ahead. What were you saying? Andrew. Book have. What does the third book have in the... Uh, somebody do some research that's listening. The Shrieking Shack is where the bathroom oh, is. That's just where Lupin goes to the bathroom. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to try and bring it on. back. Uh, Draco's crying at the sink. Harry walks in. Draco notices him, and it's immediate battle. Both draw their wands. Draco fires a hex that misses Harry and then follows it up with an uh, unforgivable curse. Harry uses Sectum Sempra, not knowing what it is, and it's, it's a pretty intense moment reading it, it it really sounds like Draco is about to bleed out um, from what Harry has cursed him with. And you see the immediate regret on Harry's part for what he's done, because I think despite how much the two of them dislike each other, and I think this is reflected even further in Deathly Hallows, they don't want to kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. Harry, though, in it's... He does this earlier on in the book where he uses Levacorpus on Ron, and that was also something that was written in the Half-Blood Prince's book. And I'm wondering why, though. You know, Levacorpus luckily didn't have any serious effect on Ron, but not knowing what a spell is and just casting it, it could have had some really, really serious consequences if Snape wasn't around to save draco yeah so i have a few thoughts on this 
when you're a kid, you make big mistakes sometimes, and sometimes uh, as soon as you make them, you realize you realize just how big the mistake, big of a mistake it is, and that's what happens here. I also think that Harry, for this entire book, has been trusting the prince's notes, and he has no reason to believe that he should be trusting this one, sight unseen. I mean, everything he does, everything he uses from the book, he he just goes for it. Um, yes, this one was particularly bad. Um, I I don't blame Harry for using this spell. He had to think on his feet, and he wanted to tr- trust the prince again. And even J.K. Rowling notes a page or two later, quote, it was as if a beloved pet had suddenly suddenly turned on him. Harry realizes he made a mistake here, and this was a great learning lesson for him, that he shouldn't trust any <laughs> random note that he finds in a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. I also think it was heat of the moment, because we can't forget that Malfoy was getting ready to use the Cruciatus Curse on Harry. Like, he gets halfway through um, through saying Crucio, right? And Harry just sort of, like, reacts you know, spur of the moment, because we've seen, I think at this point, multiple mentions of um, how the Sectumsempra curse is mentioned as being four enemies right. in the book. And I think that goes to Andrew's point about how Harry thought he could trust the prince, which is interesting because, you know, the last time he thought that he could trust a book was Chamber of Secrets, which is another thread. Um Right. Alongside all the bathroom stuff. But <laughs> another thing that I really like here that's a, a cool throwback to Chamber of Secrets, of course, is that Myrtle starts shouting after Harry hits Draco with Sectumsempra. She starts shouting murder in the bathroom. And I like that because, of course, Myrtle was murdered in a bathroom and it was another student who discovered her. So now she's sort of the one doing the discovering. Yeah. In this case, which I really, really like. That's totally great. And I I wouldn't say it's unrealistic that Snape, you know, is close enough to show up. I wonder sort of what circumstances maybe he was, maybe he too was following Malfoy because he's supposed to or what. But he shows up quick. But that's not something we could ever rely on in the real world, I think. Like, children are going to make these mistakes and they're going to make big, big, big mistakes and you know, cause people they don't like and even the ones they do to be injured. And you can't always rely on somebody like Snape to show up and make it all better. Harry was, and I think we feel the weight of that in this chapter. Harry was very lucky that Snape showed up. Mm -hmm. And when we learn that uh, Snape, you know, intimately knows the spell, uh, having created it, then it's even more lucky that he was able to reverse it. But, you know, the idea that Snape, he shows up and is able to, not only seal the wounds, and I love the way it's described as being like music, um, you know, shit that is way above Harry's level, which further indicates why he should not have been using it. But maybe Snape shouldn't have just written it down then in the first place. But right. it just kind of, yeah, it's lucky that Snape was there by the grace of God. You just can't rely on that sort of thing to happen very often at all. Yeah, it was definitely very fortunate for Draco that Snape was there. It also shows us that it's not just an unforgivable curse that could potentially kill somebody else in the Potter series. This spell, if it had taken its full effect, likely would have killed Draco. That's a good and Harry point. would have that 
on his conscious for the rest of his life. I have a question for you guys. This thought just occurred to me. So I know we're kind of wondering like, or rather we were kind of ruminating on how lucky it was that Snape was nearby. And we had sort of toyed with the idea that maybe he was also tailing Draco because, you know, he made an unbreakable vow to do so effectively. But given the fact that Draco has been confiding in Moaning Myrtle, I wonder if Myrtle has been talking to Snape behind the scenes. And the reason I say this is because Myrtle has a big mouth. We've seen this in the books before, like when she confided in Harry that she had spied on Cedric Diggory in the bathroom. Um, and, and that kind of helped Harry realize like what he was supposed to do with the the egg in the Triwizard Tournament. Oh, yeah. Um, so... It just makes me wonder, like Myrtle really seems to like openly discussing when she gets the attention of a male student. So she's very pliable. And I could see Snape taking advantage of that if he realizes that she's got easy access to Draco and what he's doing. That's a way of letting Draco feel like he has some privacy when it comes to his mission. But not really because Snape is able to keep tabs on him that way. That's a great point. Wow. I could totally see that happening. So do you think he's using Myrtle to inform him about Draco's whereabouts? He could be. I think she'd be really happy to talk about it. Yeah. Or at the very least, I think that she'd be happy to talk about how this Slytherin boy is constantly visiting her in the bathroom and talking about all these woes he has. And it wouldn't be difficult to put the pieces together there like we did when we read the chapter where she talked to Harry about that. So. Yeah, just a couple chapters ago, she told mm-hmm. him pretty much everything. Yep. Um, and and I want to focus on that little dialogue, too, that that Harry hears right before it all happens. Um, because it's clear, that, like, Draco is very distraught, and he says that if I don't finish soon, he'll kill me. Like, he, he Draco has been, at this point, and granted, it's the month of May, like, term is very much coming to a close, um, you know, Draco had eight or nine months already to get this thing off the ground, but he's had some kind of contact with Voldemort and Voldemort's word is fix this end this soon or I'll kill you. And that's pretty rough. Right. It's just more insight for us as readers that Draco has been tasked with something that he most likely can't carry out. I also liked how Snape, quote, mutters an incantation that sounds like a song. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever heard of like a spell being a song before. I thought this was something that was well done in the movie. Uh, yeah. Because whatever incantation he used in the movie also sounded very song-like. Oh, I forgot Do you guys that. remember? Yeah. Yeah, the only, the only time you hear kind of uh, magic just being described like a song is uh, when Dumbledore does it too. Um, mm-hmm. I think either in the cave scene later uh, or something, it's just there's levels of magic that are well beyond, I think it's safe to say, well beyond Hogwarts level. And only certain skilled you know, magicians actually use it. And it's this kind of stuff. So, Possibly singing Coldplay's Fix You as the <laughs> Do you Maybe. have a clip of that to, to play? No, I don't even know how it goes. Oh. Otherwise, I would do it. It's a heck of a reference. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of a song that has fix in the title, and that's the first thing that came to mind. Oh, man. 
But uh, I know in uh, bonus MuggleCast, uh, this week we're going to be talking about what if the worst had happened? What if Malfoy died from this? If Snape wasn't there to save him, what the grander implications are. And I'm looking very forward to discussing that on Patreon uh, as our bonus mm-hmm. MuggleCast. And this also raises the question, how does Snape know Sectumsempra? Mm-hmm. It's a little too coincidental. He seems to have a lot of familiarity with what he's witnessing and what needs to be done in order to heal Draco, almost to reverse the effects of the curse that's just been done. Yeah. This should have been a larger, I think, clue to us that perhaps there's a tie between Snape and Half-Blood Prince, particularly once he uses legitimacy on Harry. And we can talk a little bit about this because I don't think that that should be allowed from a professor to a student to figure out what has just happened. And Harry is very mentally weak at that moment and not prepared for what's about to happen. He says as much. And if not from the Sectum Semper curse, Snape definitely is now aware of the fact that Harry has his old potions book. Yeah. It's, it's very weird how Snape sort of reacts to this, but ultimately regarding legitimacy, he's not going to get it out of Harry any other way. Unfortunately, like I side with Snape on the level of even though Harry has just witnessed him nearly murdering a a kid by accident, he's not being forthcoming. He's going to still protect, if not the prince himself. He's going to cover his own ass here. And that 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 um, that intuitiveness is something we all have, but it's not good. Shouldn't this have been escalated higher than Snape? This should have McGonagall is talked about a little bit later on agreeing with the punishment that's been given. But in this moment, this should have gone all the way up to Dumbledore. This is a this is a serious attack on a student that could have resulted in his death. It's not for Snape to decide what should be done. I agree. But because we know that Snape is the prince, there might be a level of culpability that Snape is trying to cover his own ass about. Like, oops, I left my old potion book. Like, that's the only thing I can think of that really explains it. That and the idea that Snape's unbreakable vow means he had to be there to protect Draco. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe because of the more intricate scenario of Snape having to protect Draco, Snape is kind of just either focused on that and doesn't try and get Harry expelled like he's done hundreds of times before. Or, I don't know, like his, his punishment with Harry is very not as severe as it possibly should have been. I completely agree. Don't you think Dumbledore knows, though? He must. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. And I think he also knows that they have bigger fish to fry. Right. So why does Dumbledore need to get personally involved here? I don't think think that would be necessary. He trusts that Snape will give him the proper punishment, and this appears to be the right punishment, because as you said, Micah, uh, McGonagall does agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Harry is tasked with going and getting his book and bringing it back to Snape. On his way, he's able to get into the room of requirement to hide the book. He takes Ron's in place of his own. Uh, and there's a there's a bunch of stuff in that room that we should talk about. But Laura, you have an interesting point here about when Harry brings the book back to Snape and it's Ron's and he reads a name in there. And uh, it's actually a really good catch on your part. Oh, yeah. So it's obviously Ron's um, copy of the potions textbook. But I guess his, 
wasn't the, his quill, there was something wrong with it. It was a spell check quill. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was not working, func- it wasn't functioning correctly. And so his name was written as like Runal Waslib or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And when Snape looks in the book and says, are you sure this is yours? Because it says it belongs to Runal Waslib. Harry responds by saying, it's a nickname. And Snape's like, what? And Harry's like, yeah, it's what my friends call me. And Snape, who has assigned himself with a nickname of the Half-Blood Prince, informs Harry, yeah, I know what a nickname is. <laughs> yeah, Idiot. Hint, hint. <laughs> oh, man. Lots of hints in this book. I didn't even chapter. catch that as a particular as a particular hint but yeah i guess you're right yeah. i mean whether or not snape was the half-blood prince um yeah obviously snape knows what the nickname <laughs> is. he also dealt with the marauders who all had nicknames can you just believe <laughs> harry's stupidity here like does he really think snape's gonna buy that no he's thinking on his feet in the moment <sighs> yeah i don't know yeah can you blame him yeah but let's talk about the room of requirement for a, a second uh because it's important where he hides this book uh, and then he also flies by a vanishing cabinet that he notes that Montague got trapped in, was it the previous year? Yeah. And we know that vanishing cabinets were discussed earlier in this book, but there's no connection that is made in Harry's mind because I think it's even specified by Arthur Weasley that there is a vanishing cabinet in Borgen and Burke. Right. So. Yeah. Right. I think this just goes to show that Harry's maybe not the best multitasker. <laughs> yeah. He was too focused on hiding his book. Yeah. And he, he even missed the uh, the Horcrux that he grabbed to put on a, uh, yeah. a, a bust of a... Yeah. It... It says, seizing the chipped bust of an ugly old warlock from on top of a nearby crate, he stood it on top of the cupboard where the book was now hidden, perched a dusty old wig and a tarnished tiara on the statue's head to make it more distinctive. So he literally... Anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to see here. (laughs) And he didn't get, you know... Never mind the Horcrux. It's important to note, he didn't get a jolt. He didn't get any kind of feeling or read off the tiara the tiara was sleeping the bit of soul inside it was inside of the diadem we should now call it uh was sleeping true so i don't know harry and company are back in the common room and harry has detention with snape he tries to get out of it with the quidditch excuse and i'm just thinking to myself dude you just almost killed somebody. You're not going to get Snape to, uh, you know, and I, and I think this is where the McGonagall piece uh, is referenced a little bit later on, you know. So despite it being his final Quidditch match at Hogwarts, he's not going to get to play in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Harry and Hermione and Ron are all having a conversation and Harry makes some pretty good defenses of the Half-Blood Prince book he notes that it helped him make Felix Felicis and that ultimately led to him getting Slughorn's memory. It saved Ron's life because of the Bazaar. And he flat out admits that he should have never used the spell on Draco. And I agree. The Despite this incident, 
everything else that preceded it would have led you to believe that perhaps the spell wouldn't have had that kind of an effect on Draco. It, yeah. It's been all beneficial for Harry so far. Yeah. They're all just jealous that they didn't have this book. <laughs> I mean, this one... This, and then yeah. and then Hermione goes so far as to say to Harry that he got a reputation for potions, brilliance, you don't deserve. And I, I didn't think that was fair at all because he was successfully following the prince's instructions like you would instructions in any other book. Exactly. Yeah, so I I agree that her argument here lacks a little bit of nuance. But what I will say is that Harry gained a reputation around being an innovative potions maker as a result of following somebody else's innovation and not giving them the credit for it. Right. You know what I mean? He's plagiarizing. And I think that's part of the... Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of the reason why... Um, Snape is really punishing Harry in this way. He's like, oh, you're going to take my brilliant work and pass it off as your own? Well, you're not going to play in the championship map match for Quidditch. Yeah, it's, it's, the, so, it's, the, it's the lowest amount of uh, shackle you can put on this reckless plagiarist, <laughs> this, this reckless child who is passing off somebody else's credit as his own and has been living off of the glory of Slughorn's praise all damn year. Yeah. Mm. I, I see the point about it being innovative, but still, if they all had the same potions book and students, as is always the case, some of them are better than others, don't they deserve credit for doing a better job than their other students, their fellow students? It's just we pointed this out before. If Harry sure. paid attention in potions or even had the slightest grasp on potions, a Beezer would have come naturally to him far before the prince's book came into his hands. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Well, Hermione's also just, again, jealous. That's true. This scene. So she I is. Think that's it, why she said this. Absolutely. And, and it's just funny that it's about potions, but and I also think I said earlier that he used it to make Felix Felicis. He uses it to make I'm forgetting the potion that ends up winning him the Felix Felicis. But regardless, really, if you look at it, Snape is responsible for Harry getting the memory from Slughorn. So mm -hmm. we should congratulate him and uh, <laughs> I think it was Euphoria. Throw a party. I think it was Euphoria, right? That's what it was. Yeah. 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 Um, now, something interesting that happens, though, during this conversation is Ginny jumps to Harry's defense. Oh, my God. And yeah. and basically, if this were WWE, uh, she body slams Hermione, not once, but twice. <laughs> and I just, this was out of left field for me, her just kind of jumping right in there and couldn't help but feel a little bit good for Harry that somebody was finally standing up to Hermione in this respect. She was nasty. I think she could have, you know, done it a little bit nicer, but what do we feel like here? Did did somebody finally put Hermione in her place a little bit? Maybe a little, but I think this was also a show of Ginny reciprocating Harry's feelings. Yep. Yeah. More than anything. I mean, yeah. we we are definitely all predisposed to jump to the, the defense of the person we care about, even if we don't necessarily agree with everything they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. I think that's a that it's right on the head. 
nail on the, the nail on the head there uh, because I think that it kind of indicates that Ginny, although we don't see into her thoughts and feelings, um, is on a parallel journey to kind of maybe she's also thinking about how to get Harry alone in a room, you know, um, and and you know although I could do without this women attacking women aspect of it because it's very ugly the way that Ginny says to Hermione don't actually pretend that you comprehend Quidditch um very it's yeah, a little rough very rough and but yeah it's it's kind of in contrast to the potions statement where basically Hermione's saying to Harry don't pretend like you understand potions mm, yeah that's a good point definitely um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with what both of you said. I, I think it's just one of those moments where Ginny is finally kind of stepping in to the, <clears throat> sort of to the forefront a bit. And she's also had her own experience with books that have taken advantage of her. Yeah. So maybe yeah. she's a bit sympathetic to what's going on and thinking of the fact that Harry has just come from a pretty traumatic situation and he's got Hermione there kind of chewing his ear off about how he shouldn't be using this book. And I just think that it it, it almost felt nice to have somebody come in there and say, you know what, Hermione, you need to like just take a couple steps back. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm yeah. alone on that one. On the books, I you just mentioned um, the connection to Ginny and Tom Riddle's diary. I also just want to point out, I love the fact that they're both authored by half-blood people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Half-bloods are the real killers. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And Harry's a half-blood. Yeah. Yes, he is. So the, the chapter wraps up with Harry being in detention with Snape. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, Snape robs Harry of his final Quidditch match at Hogwarts, though it could be argued that Harry robs Harry of his final Quidditch match at Hogwarts. And we see Snape's extra salty side, as I like to call it, because he gives Harry a detention that begins with insulting his dead father and godfather. He even uh... says, it must be such a comfort to think that though they are gone, a record of their great achievements remain. Is that insulting? Because I love every aspect of this detention. I think it's the greatest thing ever. All right. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I no, I do. I mean, not to be like extra about it, but I think that um, it's because this so carefully mirrors what Harry just did in not only taking credit for potions that we talked about, but his kind of just blatant arrogance and all the things Snape has basically been accusing Harry of being Harry is in not coming forward with his potions book. And so this copying without magic, these cards that are records of misdeeds that his father and all of his friends got into, I think is the most innocent, let's be real, the most innocent way you could punish somebody for the seriousness of what Harry did. No, well, I don't disagree with you, but I think what he do- he did is a ministry level offense. And I'm surprised by the fact that it's just being given a detention as a result of what he did to Draco. We didn't touch on this earlier, but how often do things like this happen at Hogwarts where students get injured at that level? We haven't really seen too much of that. But we've brought this up previously for Snape and adults 
to be so harsh against the student. I mean, reminding him about his dead father and the bad things that his father did is just absolutely awful. I think Snape is justified in showing the parallel, really, because Harry's never been more like James. Until this chapter. Yeah. Until this chapter, yeah. Harry was never... I mean, even look at the card that, that is read. Some some poor kid had his head grow two sizes too big. Like, that could cause lasting brain damage. You don't know. And, you know, that's just one of the things Harry's reading off. So while he sees it as busy work, and it clearly has multiple purposes, like to make him not show up at Quidditch and make Gryffindor lose the cup, uh, ultimately, this is a very therapeutic. I think it, I think he can learn something from this work. Unfort- unlike so many other of Snape's punishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, Micah, I don't know if you were alluding to this or not, but you asked how did Snape have this spell, Sectum Sempra? He invented it himself. Right. And okay, just wanted to make that clear. I was no, no. I was asking. Well, it, I was saying it more from the standpoint of the reader learning okay how did he yeah how is he so familiar yeah. with this spell we should be asking ourselves that question well i get the impression beat up the marauders yeah i get the impression he could have healed that 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 the healing spell that snape used could have been used on similar injuries like it it's not that he specifically knew the counter yeah although he did i think you can play it off as snape is just an accomplished potions master who dumbledore has been singing his praises all year about healing him from his arm that's falling off slowly so i think right. snape's healing um prowess has been hinted at throughout the book so when you get to sectum sempra i don't think it necessarily draws unusual attention on snape that he can fix the spell mm. yeah that's fair kind yeah. of a catch all repair yeah you never see um, you never see poppy pomfrey but- doing shit like this like <laughs> I, I also just want to add, I'm glad that Gryffindor was able to win the Quidditch match without Harry. <laughs> like, Me too. We don't need him being like this, oh my god, only Harry can get us the cup. Like, it's <laughs> Let the other students have their time to shine. And I think this was a good l- learning lesson as a reader. Yeah. That you don't need the best guy on the team to uh, to win. Yeah. I think it also... It's an it's interesting because we see this moment where Harry sort of like I think over inflates his importance to the team. Not to say that yeah. he's not important, but he was like, Oh god, if we lose for the first time in two centuries, everyone's gonna blame me. And it's like, right. well, yeah, you can be a great captain, but your team can still lose a match. So the fact that they were able to win without him, I think is an interesting parallel to what's coming next at Hogwarts. Like they're able to remain somewhat safe and access the room of requirement and keep Dumbledore's army alive without Harry even being there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, is Harry really secretly the worst at everything he does? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Ginny's the one who goes on to be a professional Quidditch player. so. (laughs) So let's be real. Like, there's somebody better than Harry at everything Harry does, except killing Voldemort. And at the end of the chapter, Harry and Ginny finally get together. <laughs> and I just threw the question out there. Did this seem forced, rushed, out of left field, any of the above, all of the above? We, we 
talked about at the beginning of the chapter how things were set in motion for this to potentially happen, but you know clearly in in that heat of the moment from the uh, the Quidditch Cup, right? They are uh, they're Ron and Lavender all over again. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is heat of the moment. I think Harry is very is is very happy that Gryffindor won and that Ginny had a big role. So I think uh it was justified in this moment. Look, if if you're trying to make your first move, you're looking for an excuse to do it. And this was the moment to do it. This is where it just worked naturally. You don't have to think much about it. You just go in for the kiss. Yeah, and I love it because leading up to this, Harry's been wondering how he could use Felix Felicis to sort of orchestrate this kind of event. And as soon as he had nothing to do with it, it just naturally happened. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, maybe he's the worst at everything he does. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title to draw people in this week. <laughs> Harry is the worst at everything <laughs> he does. does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, too, if we had Ginny's perspective, you know, and see, seen her journey, it would have felt less spur of the moment. You know, maybe she, too, was feeling, I think, earlier in this chapter, it's like Harry was grateful for the excuse to be able to innocently look and talk to Ginny. You know, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of weird and one-sided. But if you read it from her perspective, I'm sure it would read, you know, she's been trying to probably do the same thing, so... You know, yeah, the mm-hmm. kiss is that perfect moment that that moment lost in time. It could have been a thousand years, I think the, mm-hmm. the writing says, and mm-hmm. it makes my heart leap. All right, well, I feel like that uh, wraps up this chapter, and uh, we're we're closing in on the end of Half Blood Prince, which is crazy yeah. to think about. I know. Where did the time go? Let's rename the chapter now. Mm-hmm. Eric, what's yours? Uh, mine is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 23, Marauder's Greatest Hits. <laughs> I just love that All scene. Right. I love detention. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I love I detention. Love detention. <laughs> mine is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 23. Pay no attention to that tiara. <laughs> yeah. I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 23. Knock first. <laughs> and God. I'm pooping in here. <laughs> <laughs> and mine is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, chapter 23. I will try to fix you. <laughs> I looked up the song on YouTube while we were talking and I found how to sing it. Now, MVP of the week, Eric. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying all the good ones were taken. Uh, by the time I got to the dock. <laughs> so I fully support everybody else's Doc is there all week long, baby. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, <laughs> I will go with uh, I will go with Moaning Myrtle because I think it's actually important that in her afterlife, she has really grown as a person, I think, or is able to be empathetic to people who are being bullied as a result of her being bullied in life. And I think she probably is providing some kind of modicum of comfort to Draco, uh, and has been all year round, and I admire that in her. So, you know, she's not just some useless side ghost character that doesn't really serve a purpose and is slightly creepy uh, looking at boys. Yeah. But I think, yeah, she is emotionally supporting Draco. Good for her. I'm going to have to give it to Ginny because she really had to orchestrate when she was going to catch the snitch. Because as was established in the chapter, in order 
to win and actually come in first place, they would have to allow Gryffindor to score a significant number of points before catching the snitch. So I got to give it to Ginny for like keeping Cho off the snitch for the entire (laughs) match until the correct opportunity presented itself. Yeah. It's such a tricky part of Quidditch. I know, because you can technically catch the snitch and still lose. That's 30 goals, by the way. 30 more goals than Ravenclaw. That's a lot of goals. Mm Mm-hmm. Damn, Jenny, you're perfect. (laughs) But not a Mary Sue. Oh, boy. Oh, let's not start this. (laughs) (laughs) Micah? Uh, I gave my MVP of the week to Snape. Right place, right time. Saves Draco's life. And gives Harry the appropriate quote-unquote punishment i still think it could have been far more severe i know we'll probably talk about that a little bit in bonus muggle cast but this was uh, a standout chapter i think for for snape you all really feel bad for draco it's very interesting i see where your loyalties lie mine is uh my mvp of the week is sectum sempra for giving harry a reality check for uh teaching him the lesson that he needs to uh, think things through (laughs) again and that not everything he reads should just be blindly followed. It's a good one. All right. So that does it for 23 chapter 23. If you have any feedback, feel free to email it in mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on the website or call us one nine two Oh three muggle. That's one nine two Oh three six eight four four five three or hit us up on twitter twitter.com slash mugglecast or over on our new instagram which is instagram.com slash mugglecast pod mike i thought you were gonna like help us get rid of the pod part and claim mugglecast are, are you I'm, working I'm on working that on what's it. happening yeah it's it's a process andrew get on it are you and your goat heading over to san francisco to have a meeting with instagram yes in their office Mm-hmm. I see. I'm just going to let the goat run rampant in their office until they give us what we <laughs> until need. You, until they give it up. That's right. Okay, it's time now for Quizage. Yes, last week's question, how long does Felix Felicis take to make? Uh, well, the as we found out in this chapter, unfortunately for Harry, who wants to use it at every opportunity, that the correct answer is uh, six months. It takes six months to brew the potion so um seems like fred and george that's something that they would have in their shop i'm surprised that they don't they just set up a felix farm where they brew this stuff for six months in large batches just sell 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 yeah i i think i think you're right for sure um yeah because we know that harry should sure couldn't uh brew it on his own (laughs) not without the prince's book (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it does sound like something they'd have just sort of on rotation you know, everybody would buy it, just like those love potions. Yeah. Um, anyway. So anyway, the correct answers were submitted to us over on Twitter by using hashtag Quizich and at replying MuggleCast. The winners are Beth Marie, Real Slim Brady, Issy, Tara, Young Susie Blood, Fluffy McNutters, A Man Has No Name, Pronvi, Karen, Redagambo, Dan Hill, Amy Hill, Count Ravioli, Justice for Dean, Mandrake Patronus, Dana, Monsies, CNS, and Vanessa Cho. Justice for Dean. Okay. Justice for <laughs> Dean. And Justice for Dean has a nice little headshot 
of young Alfred Enoch. Um, mm. And zero followers. You know what? I'm going to follow. Uh, <laughs> at, from your account or from Mogulcast? Uh, from mine, I think I'm on. At Quiz Justice. <laughs> Here for Quizich is the bio. Wow. There Only you go. Your Quizich. Good on somebody you. created accounts specifically to get noticed by us, which it turned out That's- was. Really, the only reason to use Twitter. There's no other good reason, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, um, next week's question: What unlikely ally does Harry discover by the room of requirement? It's a fairly big point in the chapter. I made an easy question this week, but uh, we're still Quizich is in flux. You guys, we're still deciding on uh, the future now that we moved over partially to Instagram. We aren't mentioning the Instagram winners here. We do that in Instagram stories. So just give an easy question and we'll figure out where it all falls. The future of Quizage is in flux. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We talked about maybe randomly announcing winner names and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's such an ominous warning. Yeah. I'm scared. Come, come in the future of quizzes. We're <laughs> just deciding on what to do with it. This is crazy. We got so I'm many kidding. participants and a lot of common names. We we strive to make the segment interesting. And if you have any suggestions, feel free to send them to us as well on how we can make this segment more dynamic and more fun. So Draco was a big focus of the chapter, and as we've said a couple times now, this week's bonus muggle cast. We'll we'll play the uh, what if segment. The what if segment. What if Draco had died? And we'll just we'll consider what the ramifications would have been there. Um, it would have been a very different ending to Half-Blood Prince and obviously to Deathly Hollows. So we'll talk about all of that at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. That's where you can get all the bonus content we put out. Not just the bonus, bonus installments of MuggleCast, but you can join us for our live streams, typically on one weekend morning each week. Uh, we also do the Slug Club Hangout, which we did today. And we also send you a physical gift every year. There are a lot of benefits over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And we appreciate everybody's support. It is the reason why we are doing the show weekly again. It's hard to believe. It's the reason why Laura's back, too. Mm-hmm. It's the reason other things will happen in the future. <laughs> uh, the Patreon has just really been a game changer, not just for our podcast, but for lots of podcasts out there. Uh, it's really a great way to support creators that you love. So ours is at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us. Thank you. And I think that does it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll talk about the next chapter in Half-Blood Prince. We'll also talk about if J.K. Rowling said anything <laughs> for the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about any other news that happens. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya.